Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here to open up your word together. I just pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit now. Help us to have wisdom beyond ourselves, and I pray that you open our hearts to hear your word even as we open up your word. So I pray, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I was smart, given the Father's Day gift that all you guys got, uh, I should probably be talking about salt and light. But um, what we're going to talk about instead is we're going to continue on in First Peter. We're going to talk about how the Bible emphasizes the importance of dressing really well and that an, an amazing amount of life is in dressing well, um, which I am today. Uh, and and you, might, you might say, well, but, but Kevin, you're wearing jeans and a short sleeve shirt to preach in. First off, I'm not sure Jesus stopped to put on his tie before he preached. Um, secondly, I didn't say dressing up. I said dressing well, dressing appropriately. It's going to be like 90 today, and I'm going to be out and about in it. So the idea of dressing in a suit and tie seemed a bit, well, not, not appropriate. A lot of it comes down to, well, stop and think. Why are you dressed a certain way? Well, why are you dressed a certain way today? Did you dress really nicely? Because you say, this is a worship service, and it's special to me. It's holy. It's set apart. And I want to dress in a way that reminds me that this is special. Okay. Are you dressed in jeans and comfortable? Because you said, well, I'm in my dad's house, and it's dad's day. And I want to be comfortable when I'm with my dad. Okay, that's appropriate. Are you dressed the way you dress every day? Because you say, well, I worship every day. I try to be holy every day. Okay. All those are perfectly legit mindsets, aren't they? Now, the flip sides could be bad. I mean, you go, I dressed up nicely so everybody could see that I was dressed up nicely. Oh, I, I dressed poorly because I don't care about it. I got dragged here by my family. Well, that, bad planning. Because what comes down to it is it's about the consideration why were you doing what you're doing how does how you're dressed reflect what you're thinking because ultimately when i say that the bible says that it's important for us to dress well i was not being facetious i want you to open up to first peter chapter one we're going to start where we left off in verse 13 and i submit to you that peter says it's crucially important how you dress not your bodies but your life, your mindset. It's crucially important how you dress. So, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, and I have to stop there. Right? Because there's a context. Anytime you see a therefore, it's building it on something, right? So I have to stop and say, well, what's the therefore? Therefore, what has he been saying that led up to him saying, therefore? So I got it while you're there. I'm going to back up to verse 10. He's been talking about salvation. And he said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace, that unmerited favor that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them, before Christ was ever born, his spirit was moving. The spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, you guys, all of you guys. When they spoke the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel, like Peter's doing, like I'm doing. 
by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And I love the grammar of that, that in the Greek, the idea is even the angels go, I don't get this. I find this fascinating, but I don't get this. All of creation has been longing to this moment, to get here for the grace that was shown to you and me. Everything's been leading up to us. So what are you going to do about that? I mean, if everything has been leading up to this, you go, wow, that, I don't want to say that put pressure on me, but it gives gravitas to this moment. It means that I should do something with this. It's not something to be taken lightly. Therefore, Peter says, given all that, given that everything's been leading up to this, taking all that into consideration, therefore, do something with that. In fact, Peter gives us five commands in a row of specific things to do in response to what I just said. In response to everything we were just talking about, about all of everything leading up to this. Therefore, five commands. Prepare your minds for action. That's not actually the first command. If you're taking notes, you can scribble that down, but it's not actually the first command. That's just setting up the first command. I can't get to the first command without talking about how you're dressed. Because in Greek, in the original, it literally says, gird up the loins of your mind. Hitch up your drawers. It's a clothing metaphor. He says, before I even get to the first command of my five, I got to say, dress your brain upright. Make sure that you get yourself prepared. In fact, it's not even, it's not even command. The grammar of it, 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 technically, it's girding up the loins of your mind. Being self-controlled. Assuming that you're doing these things already. This is how you do the first command. By girding up the loins of your mind, being self-controlled, before I get to what I'm going to get to, you have to start by dressing your perspectives right. Stop and make sure your thinking is right. Stop and make sure that you're mentally prepared to actually do something. Because all the correct theology in the world means nothing if you don't do it, right? I think sharing the gospel is important, don't you? Yes, I think people are... They're going to go to hell if you don't tell them about Jesus. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Who do you tell about Jesus? No one. Then your theology is actually offensive. You do nothing with it. It's worse than pointless. It's offensive. Oh, I know he's going to hell. I kind of giggle. What? No. Do something with it. Right? Read James. Do something with it. Anyone can say they're a Christian. Do something with it. How you dress makes a statement. How you dress to go on a date with your spouse makes a statement. How you dress when you go into the office makes a statement. How you dress your heart, your mind, makes a statement about how prepared you are to do the job God's given you. Are you ready to actually do something? Hitch up the drawers of your mind. Any command God gives us is pointless if we don't do that. So, all right, let's assume that we're doing that. Yes, I'm preparing my mind for action. I want to actually do something. I'm trying to be self-controlled. I'm trying to be sober. I'm trying to be calm. I'm trying to be collected. I'm trying to be rational. I'm trying to be clear-headed. And if I do that, then set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. First command, set. Actively, consciously, soberly, Focus yourself on this eternal perspective on things. Remind yourself of what's 
coming. Remind yourself of the inheritance he talked about last week. Remember when we talked about the last? Because this is all just one letter to be read all at once. He's assuming you remember last week. He's like, remember, you've got this inheritance coming. Set your focus on that, not on this place. Because there's an ongoing theme here in this letter, isn't there? You're not from this place. Not anymore. Your inheritance isn't in this place. Not anymore. Your citizenship is in heaven and you're just passing through. It's easy to say that. But it's, it's hard to live like that. Because the world trains us every day to cling to the stuff in this place. Which is why Peter's like, I gotta, I gotta preface this command. I can't just toss that command in there. I gotta preface it by saying you need to, to already dress your mind before you can set your hope, before you can think rightly, before you can focus correctly. You've got to learn to focus. You've got to be prepared to think. You've got to be prepared to do things. As long as Christianity is just this Sunday morning sitting in a pew thing, it's 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 just a cultural thing. It's an outward thing. It's a momentary thing. And that, that can't be what it, it has to be. It's supposed to be something that is built into your DNA. If you are a dad, if you're a mom, if you're a spouse, any of these things, it can't be something you do sort of. If my daughter is crying in her crib because something's gone horribly wrong, I can't go, I just don't feel like being a dad right now. Can I? If I see a pretty girl on the street, I can't say, I just don't feel like being a husband very much right now. Can I? I can't play at being a Christian. It needs to be who I am. Like being a father is who I am. Being a husband is who I am. Being a Christian is who I am. It's built into my DNA. It's not something I have to remind myself to do and remember to do and put it on my to-do list. It's, it should just naturally be who I am. I don't want to make being comfortable here my priority. I don't want to think the way the world thinks. I don't want to hold grudges over petty temporal things. I don't want to justify my own self-righteousness. I, I don't... I want to set my focus on something beyond this place. So next, as obedient children, not conforming, and that's the grammar here, as obedient children, not conforming to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Okay, that's this is leading up. It's not the second command. It's leading up the second command. Because he keeps having to do that. Before I can give you the command, i got to lead up to the command. Okay, since I've already stopped. <laughs> um, he says... There was a point when you lived in ignorance, right? There was a point you didn't know any better. You, you, you had no concept that there was anything beyond this place. This place made total sense to just be this place. They had no concept that a lust for this is necessarily bad. It's just the way it is. But he's like, well, that's the way you used to be. You're, you're not that person anymore. You've been changed. Your mindset should change. Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, said, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because apparently even christians gasp can conform to the world around them can't they you know what a conforming is conforming is when you're built around the shape beaten around the shape of something else you make a form and then you take gold leaf and you pound it little by little into that shape even christians can do that right you go, the world looks like this, so I do that. You go, oh, okay. 
There's a bazillion ways every day, most of which aren't even bad. You can be built into the world shape. Well, I mean, you need a, you need a 401k. You need to be able to do this, and the kid needs to go to soccer practice, and you need to be able to do this, and obviously you're going to wear a tie if you're going to do this because you go, those were bad. But the, well, of course, that's the way you do life. That's the way the world does it. And every day, the world just beats us into its shape, just a tiny bit, little by little by little. Paul goes, no, 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 no. Don't let that happen. Be transformed, and that's literally to be metamorphosized, to be changed from the inside out, like a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. Not to be beaten into this external shape around you, but to have your shape changed to reflect the internal changes that God has wrought. That's what you should be doing. But changed into what? Because you're not a butterfly. Okay, Peter says, as obedient children, not conforming to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, you didn't know any better, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. That's the second command. Be holy. Not just on the outside, but on the inside. Be holy in all that you do. For it's written in Leviticus 20, be holy because I'm holy. What does the word holy mean? Set apart. It doesn't mean that you have to become a priest or a, or a nun. It doesn't mean that you hover an inch above the ground. It doesn't mean you get special powers. It means set apart. You're not from this place anymore. So you're getting it again. How many times does he hit this in this, in this book over and over and over again? Over and over and over again. In fact, God even clarifies that in Leviticus because he's quoting from Leviticus 20. In that same verse, God says, Be holy because I, Yahweh, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. You're not primarily Illinoisans anymore. You're not primarily... You're not primarily Americans. You're set apart to be citizens of heaven. I actually lied a second ago, and I apologize. That was me. That was bad. I know, I know. I said being holy doesn't mean you're supposed to be a priest. That's a lie. Y'all priests. A priest is somebody who stands between God and people who don't stand before God. That's what a priest is. You have a priest. His name is Jesus Christ. You are a priest. Well, for who? If Mark doesn't need any priest other than Jesus Christ, and we're called a kingdom of priests, then who's Dean a, king, a, a, a priest for if not his brother Mark? Your priests, a kingdom of priests who stand between God and people who don't stand before God. You, you're the mediator of God to the rest of the world because you're not from this world anymore. In Christ, Christ is the mediator for you. Be holy then, be set apart. It makes total sense that Peter says, when you think about the letter even so far, that Peter says the first two commands are set your hopes and your focus on heaven and then live like that as the second command. Live set apart in this place. Don't live like everyone else does. Don't, don't, don't be so comfortable in this place. That's why every day you need to remind yourself that you're not 
citizens from here. You're ambassadors from there, passing through here. Every day, renew your minds so that you can be transformed every day more and more. In fact, Peter says, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Again, he's, he's like, I got a preface. Can't just give you a command. I always got to give you something to lead into the command. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Third command. Set your mind on heaven. Live set apart here. And then live your life in reverent fear. He doesn't actually say as strangers here. What he literally says is live your lives in reverent fear in the short time that you sojourn here. You're passing through and you kind of stop for a little bit in this place. You're just here for a short period of time. And so, I know, I know, I keep saying all this. If you feel like I'm hammering the point home, take it up with Peter. How many times has he brought, it's written, what, verse 17. How many times has he brought up this concept already in this book? In nuanced ways or in direct ways? Live your life that you're living here briefly in reverent fear. Not, not because you're supposed to be afraid of God but because you have this healthy appreciation for the, the, the power, the immensity of it. Like when you're, you've got a 16-year-old learning to drive and you say, okay, respect the machine, okay? If you're afraid of your car, you're going to get into a wreck. If you're afraid of all the other cars, you're going to get into a wreck. If you don't have some reverential fear of the fact that you're driving in a fast-moving piece of metal, you're going to get into a wreck. So what I want you to do is have some sense of the gravitas of the moment, right? Respect the machine. But how did that preface that? He's like, have some reverential fear because God is fair and impartial. Why should that give us healthy fear? Well, Paul told us that the wages of sin is death. Genesis tells us that the wages of that first sin was death. Paul says all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short of what we were sculpted for and will be judged by. And God doesn't say, well, I always like you best. He's like, no, you're all judged by exactly the same judgment. You're all judged by the exact same measuring stick. To sin is to die. So how should you live? You go, uh, maybe I should stop and think about that. You go, maybe you should stop and think about that. Maybe take that seriously. And if you go, but I've been saved, I've been washed clean, you go, good. How could you ever be flipping about that and go, nah, now I can do whatever I feel like doing. No, a little healthy fear isn't a bad thing. Jesus died to wash us clean from that death. Jesus died for you. He's taking it seriously. I, I think we should take it seriously. Peter says, for you, you know it's not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. I love that this is the second time he said, oh, gold, that ain't nothing, yeah. right? Pfft, gold. All the stuff that you guys focus on, pfft, it's pavement, Right? Read Revelation. Gold is pavement in heaven, isn't it? Streets are paved with gold. 
Take a page from Gulliver's Travels. Do you really want to spend your life just digging through the mud looking for shiny baubles that you can share and exchange for other shiny baubles and then dream about shiny baubles at night? And how do you get more shiny baubles? And if you stay at a job long enough, they might give you more shiny baubles that you can trade for other shiny baubles. And if you get enough of them, then you might need a bigger hovel to put the baubles in. So you'll need to get more baubles to pay for the hovel to put the baubles in. Peter goes, what are you doing? It's all just a tent that you're staying in for a short time. I'm not saying don't be comfortable. I'm not saying any of the baubles are wrong. But where on earth did you seem to think that that was the priority? Oh, on earth. Right? Because this world goes, well, I mean, we need a bigger place for all your baubles. You can't take it with you. Can you? The gold, the silver, and all the hills, the hills themselves, the mountains, the oceans, all pass away. It doesn't last. The person sitting next to you, in front of you, you, God's truth, those things last for eternity, don't they? Kind of puts things into a priority perspective. If you ask me, you go, wait, why would I prioritize the stuff that passes away and deprioritize the people and the things that never pass away. You know, it's not with perishable, shiny baubles, he says, like silver or gold. You're redeemed from that pointless, fluffery, empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, this perfect sacrifice, it's so much better than that fluffery. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Which is actually the, where we kind of started in this today, is this idea of God planning all of this. God never playing catch-up, but all of creation has been leading up to this before creation has been leading up to this. All creation has been about Christ and leading up to our, your salvation. All of it. You've never been spectators in history. You have been history. This is history. You're not participants sidelined. You're on the field. We're who God died to save. We're the ones who are actively active ambassadors of the kingdom of God who honors him. How are you dressed? Are you dressed like an ambassador? Or are you addressed like the locals? I don't mean your clothes. I mean your mindset, your heart. Peter says that's important. Because through Christ you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and your hope really are in God. God in the flesh who died for us. Paid for our adoption into his family with his own blood so that he can be Father to us, the culmination of everything ever. I don't know, that kind of makes me want to do something. I don't just sit there and go, yeah, okay, whatever. I want to do something with that. So I smell another command coming. I mean, this is, this is him leading into another command. He goes, okay, so now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, again, that's not the command, right? Because he always has to preface the command. Before I get into the command, i got to tumble into the command by going, 
you got to do this right so that you can do the command. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, because we're all doing that, right? I love the presumption that Peter has here. Well, now that you're doing it right, I mean, you're all obeying the truth, right? You're all living like you believe all this stuff. It's transforming. It's purifying us. It's setting you apart day by day, right? So that your love can be untainted and sincere in a way that the world's love isn't. Y'all done that, right? Daily, make sure that you are setting aside petty squabbles. Daily, making sure that your focus is on heaven and on every interaction being an embassy of heaven. Since you're doing that, and I'm like, I, I'm not. I, I'd like to be, but I'm, I'm not. Now, either your pastor is significantly worse than you are, and it's possible. Some of you are really good. Or all of us, maybe, should listen to what Peter is saying going, wait, <clears throat> is he genuinely thinking that all of us are doing all of this absolutely correctly? Or is this his way of going, surely you're doing that right? And you go, uh, I probably need to work on that. I think we probably need to work on that. Luckily, God's promised to work with me on it. In fact, he'll do all the heavy lifting. He's, he's enabling me to do anything good that I'm doing. I just got the responsibility to do the girding up and the not conforming. I just got to hitch up the drawers of my mind and not let myself get beaten to the shape of the world. The rest of it is God going, oh, my Holy Spirit's going to help you. I'm like, oh, thank you. Oh, I'll give you direction. Oh, thank you. I'm going to set you in a family with other people who can go, no, 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 don't do it that way. This is healthy. And you go, oh, thank you very much. Oh, this is how you do it. Oh, righty, tighty, lefty, Lucy. Oh, thank you. It's nice that I have somebody there to explain to me how to do this. Cool. There's a gazillion ways that God's like, oh, you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. It's just a decision that you have to make every day. It's not something you do on your own strength or in your own wisdom. But if I'm not spending time with God in prayer every day, communicating with my Father, if I'm not saturating myself with the Word of God every day, if I'm not making a conscious effort to think like someone who's just passing through here every day, well, this probably isn't going to work, is it? Because every day the world keeps gently pounding me into its shape. Not even maliciously. Well, sometimes maliciously. But most of the time it's not even malicious. The world just goes, well, I mean, obviously you've got to make sure that you're financially stable. I mean, obviously you've got to make sure that you're doing that. Obviously, I mean, you've got to, obviously, you've got to, obviously, you, I mean, obviously, you've got, obviously, you've got to, obviously, you're going to do that, right? I'm not even talking immorality. I'm just talking basic priority. That the world every day is gently pounding me into its shape, then I think Paul's right that I need to every day be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Because even if I try to do it on my own strength, and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to just be a good person. I'm going to have a to-do list of stuff that I need to do better. Well, first off, I'm going flat, to fall flat on my face. I'm going to screw that list up, right? Because I'm already broken and got a broken leg trying to run a marathon. It's on my to-do list. I'm like, well, no. But even if I do do it, even if I work really hard in my own strength and do 95, 100% of the things on my to-do list, I'm still just doing what the world said to do, right? Just, you know, do it in your own strength. Work really hard. Quietly, I just become more and more like the world, even as I do more Christian to-do list things. 
because I'm still just doing it in my own strength. All this needs to start and end and consist with God's work in me, done in God's strength, with God's leading. It needs to be built out of God's stuff, not my stuff. Because my stuff isn't that great. God's stuff is really good. I want to build this on constant, consistent interaction with God and with his word. Otherwise, it's not going to work, and it absolutely has to work. He died to make it work for me. So, Peter says, I've got to get to that fourth command. So, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying, the, you've purified yourselves in your life, you're holy. And now that you're obeying the truth, yep, so that you have perfectly sincere love for everybody in the, in the family of God. Okay. Here's the fourth command. Love one another deeply from the heart. Set your mind on heaven. Be set apart in your lives here on earth. Live your life in reverent fear, all of which leads you to genuine, deep love for one another. Literally, unremitting, without stopping, consistently, enduringly, from the heart, loving one another. Constant, consistent, solid, sincere. Every once in a while, I can, can, I get, can, I, can I get real for just a moment? Just a sec. Every once in a while, I wonder why we need a fellowship deacon. I mean, I get why we need a discipleship deacon, because discipleship is important. I get why we have like an outreach deacon, because sharing the gospel is important. Get why we have a worship deacon, because making sure that we are in the presence of God and give, describing him more, that's important. Do we really need a whole deacon-level position to get us to love each other? To be a community? I don't know. First couple of verses here in First Peter, what do you think? How important is it that we go, well, I'm part of God's family. I'm part of this community. If I go it alone then I force the guy next to me to go it alone because I'm not going it with him. If I do my own thing, if I, if, I, if I buckle down into my own home and focus on all this stuff, then all these people, I go, just do your thing by yourself. I'm working on this. And of course, they're going, it's fine, I'm working on this. I wasn't even paying attention to you. And then every Sunday, I come and I sit in a pew relatively near you because we're a church family. Is that the way that works? Strangely, it doesn't work that way at all. It's crucially important that you go, wait, I need to be connected. I need to be connected to Linda. I need to be connected to Ken. I need to be connected to the people around me. I need to care about them. I need to engage with them. I need to be family with them. I need to love them well. If I disconnect from them, well, I can't love them well. And now I'm back to thinking, what kind of a father am I? What kind of a husband am I if I go, well, I mean, I never talk with my kids. Why would I? <laughs> I never really like. No, they're great. No, I just never really talk to them. I never connect. I never see them. They're grown-ups now. Whatever. I'm moving on with my life. I'm like, well, you're not really much of a dad anymore. I never talk to my wife. I mean, she cooks me dinner most of the time. Sometimes I cook her dinner, but we don't talk. Wait, what kind of marriage do you have? I want to be engaged with the family of Christ. I want to get past the short-term, shallow, vapid sort of thing that the world goes, yeah, smile, nod, say, how are you doing? And then walk away without listening to the answer to the question. Love one another deeply. 
consistently, unremittingly, from the heart. For you have been born again. Hey, we talked about that last week. This is, he's so consistent. You've been born again. So live like that. You're not just tweaked. You're not just improved. You're a totally new creation in Christ. And that means if my wife is a totally new creation in Christ, if we're both born again, how can I despise my wife? How can I treat my husband with disdain if we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're both born again? How can I despise somebody that Jesus died to forgive? How can I harbor any kind of petty little disagreements? Obviously, those people who are unsaved, you can totally despise, right? Oh, wait, that's our mission field. I'm supposed to be a priest for that person, standing there and pointing them to Jesus. I'm supposed to be an ambassador of the kingdom to them. I'm supposed to be a brother to my brother and a priest to the person I want to be my brother. Is there anybody I'm not supposed to be loving well? The world goes, well, I mean, there's a few. (laughs) Let's be honest. Tink, tink, tink. nobody, Nobody should love Hitler. Tink, tink, tink. Can't even say, well, I mean, I don't like Hitler, but I love Hitler. Oh, no, you can't tink, tink, tink. You can't say that. That's going to end up on Facebook somewhere. Tink, tink, tink. Obviously. You can't do it this way. Obviously, you have to do this. Obviously, you have to do this. Tink, tink, tink. Little by little, pounded into its shape. He goes, no, no, no. You've been born again, guys. Not of perishable seed like that fluffery silver and gold stuff, but of imperishable like the precious blood of Christ stuff. Through the living and enduring word of God. For Isaiah said, all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The, flower, the grass withers and the flowers fall. It, just like the silver and the gold and the mountains and the seas, all this place goes someday. The judge based on the impressiveness of man or the lack of impressiveness? Well, that's just silly. Man's impressiveness is going to fizzle. Of course it is. It all withers, it all fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever, immutable, unchangeable, living, active. And this is the word that was preached to you, that everything's been leading up to this. Praise God. The writer of Proverbs said that the wealth of the rich is in their fortified city. They imagine it to be an unscalable wall. They assume that because it's built out of the most solid stuff they know, they're safe. But he says the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe because the name of Yahweh is of stronger stuff than the bricks of the biggest, most unscalable wall because it's built out of God's stuff, not, not our stuff, right? I want things to be built out of God's stuff. God built the stuff of this place. So the idea of going, the stuff that we build is somehow going to impress God. He's like, well, I'm, I'm the one that built the stuff you're building stuff out of. So, by the way, you, you broke most of the stuff I gave you to build stuff out of. So, I want to make sure that we are wearing the right clothes and that we're not slipping comfortably back into the old clothes that we used to wear. So, here comes the fifth commandment. So that we're fine. First Peter chapter 1, verse 25. The word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So, verse 1 of chapter 2, because there were no chapter breaks originally, right? Chapter breaks. Anyway, so, and this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, because there's a context, right? Since we've been redeemed, not by perishable 
fluffery like gold, since we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable holy seed, rid yourselves, literally stripping off. It's another clothing metaphor. I want you to take off some clothes. Rid yourself, stripping off all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind, which is not the fifth commandment. That's, that's again, he has to preface the fifth commandment. Before I get to the fifth commandment, here's the stuff I want you to take off. Do you bear anybody any malice? Any deceit? Little white lies. Any hypocrisy where you say one thing and do something else? Any envy where you go, why can't I... Any slander, well, you know what she said the other day. You know, I don't know if you knew, you know, I just, I wish he would be more. Take all those old dirty clothes off. Strip them all off. Before we get to the last command, otherwise like a toddler, I don't know, you ever seen a toddler sometimes uh, take a bath and want to put on the same clothes they just took off? You just go, well, no, buddy, we, we, you don't want to put on the dirty clothes. We just, we just took those off. Yeah, but I like them. I know, but we're going to put on new clean clothes. And yes, there was a time when Megan put on her dirty clothes and then put on clean clothes over them because I'm going to give her credit that maybe she misunderstood the command. Um, No, we need to put on clean clothes. Got it, Dad. What are you wearing under that? The thing I was wearing before. What are you thinking? Amazingly, what that just does is makes you dirty all over again. You go, but I look clean. But you're not. I don't care what you look like. I didn't want you to take a, I didn't want you to take a bath because I wanted you to look better. I wanted you to be clean. So strip off all those old clothes and leave them off. Take them off today and tomorrow and right now and next week and then every day. Take them off. Stripping off all those old clothes like newborn babies because you've been born again. Craves pure spiritual milk and there's our fifth command you've been born again so like a newborn take in the pure milk that will grow and sustain you crave spiritual milk literally lust after spiritual milk people oh but lust is bad no lust is this nearly uncontrollable desire to have something to possess it lust isn't bad it's a muscle god gave you he says i want you to crave some things I want you to. And you go, right, I crave heroin. You go, okay, yes, that's bad. You've used the muscle to do bad things. I crave sex with people that I'm not married to. That's bad. Please don't do that. You're abusing the muscle I gave you. I want you to crave what's right. I want you to crave what's good. I want you to crave your spouse. I want you to crave your children. I want you to crave God and his truth. I want you to crave the word of God. I want you to crave the good things that I created you to be in your relationship with. I want you to crave the things you should crave. That's what I want. So how do you avoid sliding back into this old place? You go, well, just strip all that crud off. Every day I need to wake up and go, this is not the way I want to be dressed. And every day I need to go, this is the way I want to be dressed. I need to get rid of all this stuff, and I need to hitch up the drawers of my mind to be dressed this way and crave God's truth. And I go, yes, and get up and have some chocolate cake. You go, no, no, no. Not that that's bad, but that shouldn't be what I'm craving. I should be craving pure spiritual milk. I should be craving the word of God. And I should be craving it. I don't want to just take a sip from it and nibble on it and go, well, Pastor Kevin talked for a half an hour and the other 
167 and a half hours of the week, I don't need to get into the Word of God because Kevin talked about it for a half an hour. No. I want you to crave this stuff so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Did you taste it? Did you take a sip? Yeah. Was it good? Yeah. Is truth good? Truth is really good. Gorge yourself. I want you to crave truth. Don't ever be satisfied with a sip of what I'm giving you a fountain of. Constantly be drinking this. Don't, don't just play at this. In all of this, in every part of these commands, isn't he saying, don't just nibble. <laughs> don't just nibble. I want you to jump into this. In fact, that last bit where he says, now that you taste that the Lord is good, he's quoting from Psalm 34. He keeps quoting. He's quoting from Leviticus. He's quoting from Isaiah. Now he's quoting from Psalm. Because he has drunk deep from the word of God, right? Psalm 34 that says, Taste and see that Yahweh is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear Yahweh, you his saints. Keep your tongue from all evil and your lips from speaking deceits. Turn from doing evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Yahweh redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. It's almost like 1 Peter 1. It's like Peter had Psalm 34 sitting in front of him when he's writing it. Because Peter was getting so much out of his Bible study. How much are you getting out of yours? Be in this every day. Dress for success every day, starting now. Focus on your heavenly citizenship. Live in this place like someone who's set apart for God. Live with a healthy fear of God's holiness that draws you to be holy. Love one another sincerely, consistently, unremittingly. Crave the food that only God can give you. I know that seems like it's a long list. Oh man, it's a lot I gotta remember. Technically it isn't. Technically it isn't. It's just living like you're dressed. And making sure that you're dressing like the person you truly are now. Just be who you are now. Dress that way and then live like you're like you're dressed. Live like the person you're being transformed into more and more. Do that consciously deeply, spiritually, genetically, at a core level. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that you understand us so well. You see us in all of our brokenness and all of our sin, and you look at us and you say, um, don't. And then you give us the ability to get past ourselves by giving us something so much more than ourselves. Help us to glorify you by how we live today. Thank you, in Jesus' name, for being our Father. Amen.